Sportsnet 590, The Fan. It's good to see some positive on our side. Good to see a lot of stuff hit the grass and you know, guys actually stay on base and all that stuff. But I think it's it's just a good day. You know, I, I think it can, you know, hopefully spiral into a lot more. Um, but, it, you know, it shows you, you know, what you can do um, on any given day. It just gives them the confidence that, you know, it seems to get lost sometimes when you're going through a tough stretch. You know, I love that George said that. He's been the one, you know, one of the main guys kind of leading the charge last week. And, Understanding that it's a really long season and that you know you're going to go through bad stretches and it sucks when it happens all at once, but it's uh, hopefully it kind of just continues to go, you know, from the ninth inning last night into today and we roll it into tomorrow. There you go. They're looking for all the positives. I'm believing it this morning, Justin. Big, big, big gains in the run differential category for the <laughs> Toronto Blue Jays last night. Now plus 24 in the season. You get a run. You get a run. You get a hit, Gavin Biggio. Ray's still plus 107, despite losing by 19. Woof. Pretty good start for them. Pretty good start for us on the Fan Morning Show this morning, too. We got our insider next, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That is Ben Ennist, host of the Fan Drive Time. Good morning, Ben. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, So last night... Big vibes moment, I suppose, if you want to call it that. You've got uh, two position players getting teed off on late <laughs> in the game. Is that something that could mean something greater than just a one-night thing? Can they carry some of this momentum over? Or is that just a silly proposition to expect, uh, you know, success on position players actually well, having you know a difference? What? I, I kind of compare it to, you know, in basketball when a guy's going through a slump and then he gets to the free throw line and he just sees mm. the ball go through the hoop. And, and that can maybe be a springboard for him for the rest of the game. That's kind of what it felt like. First of all, let me make my position known on position players pitching in, in baseball games. I'm anti. Okay, <laughs> I, think okay. it's, I, I think it's cowardly, honestly. I, and I know there's new rules around it that you can't just do it whenever you want. But I, I don't. I think the only time you should be allowed to do it is like when you get past maybe the 15th inning of a regular <laughs> season game when you physically have run out of uh, major league arms to to use in a game. Um, but yeah, it, it's not indicative of this this offense breaking out necessarily because Vlad took a guy who's throwing 50 miles an hour over the wall. But again, it's it's like. It, it, for a team that's been so bereft of power over the last, well, I mean, basically the whole season, but certainly over the last week or so, to just see that big round two zero on the on the scoreboard and and to to see you know their averages go up significantly over the offensive display they they put on against not even batting practice pitchers over the last couple of innings, yeah, it, I I think there is there's there's something to that mentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, about yeah, getting the ability to break out offensively, even if it's against non-major league pitchers. And, and to be fair, they did break out offensively before yes, those two guys were trotted out, and George Springer clearly had a great night. And I think if anything could like carry over, mean something from one night to the next, it might be George Springer because he's struggled this season, and he's been one of the guys who's been wearing the struggles of this offense. And it seems like a guy who could get going and really get rolling once he does get going. The success for him, you know, it happened at all times in that game, but him getting and kickstarting that offense early on in the game, that feels like something that could be meaningful. 
Yeah, and he's he's basically patient zero for uh, the guy who's had really good underlying numbers, who's who's kind of due to to break out, and it just hadn't happened for him. It's such a weird season, too, right? Like he opening day, he has five hits. Everything's mm-hmm. finding grass. Like I don't think a single one of those hits was a ball that was hit hard, and then basically goes an entire uh, rest of the season until you know, sort of recently, um, without looking like his normal George Springer self. And he's so – I think we forget how integral he is to this Blue Jays offense. I mean, the the numbers with him in and out of the lineup are staggering, like how how different the Blue Jays' uh, record looks when, when he's not in the lineup. But that's usually because he looks like George Springer at the plate. And we, we just really haven't seen that guy. He's been few and far between. Few and far between. He's one of the best leadoff hitters in all of baseball. Um, and this is not a one-man operation when it comes to the offense, but boy, is he ever important. And if if he could return to what the Blue Jays have seen for the most part from him when he's been on the field, it would be massive, massive, massive story for them. Yeah, a little bit of confidence from him uh, will mean a lot, a little bit of performance as well. And he did uh, almost hit for the cycle last night, and some of that was before the, uh, the position players did get in there. So a little bit of positives to glean. Um, I wonder where you are at with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So Justin and I, before we had you on, talked about things that were out of the blue um a little segment that we're debuting um unexpected things from the first quarter of the blue jay season and we both fell down um a little bit on vladimir guerrero jr and just the 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 power that he's lacking and the all-star caliber season that we wanted from him we expected from him and the blue jays need from him hasn't been there yet um are you in alignment with that are you circling him as a, a little bit of a disappointment to start this first quarter well, obviously, then you're not following my Twitter account because I I, <laughs> I, I did my muted. like because <laughs> <laughs> I did my like I don't know seemingly annual thing with Vlad since 2021 since he had the absolute incredible mm-hmm. offensive season start to finish in in 2021 which was you know you just can't question it it was it was incredible he 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 provided everything everybody expected from him when he was tearing up the minor leagues and first got the call up to the major leagues. But since then, like before then, and then since then, we just haven't seen it. And then if you really want to dig into the 2021 season and, and try to you know come up with a reason as to why that is such an outlier and, and go look at the numbers he put up in a couple of minor league ballparks in Dunedin and mm-hmm. Buffalo when the Blue Jays had no choice but to play their home games in those locations in the middle of the pandemic. But he hit 20 one home runs in like brief time in those ballparks again the opposition got a chance to play in those ballparks it's nobody's fault right and it also does not make a ton of sense because you look at the dimensions of those ballparks and it's not like it's not like Fenway Park where there's some you know 250 foot wall in left field but for whatever reason especially Dunedin it played more hitter friendly than even Coors Field in that season. So you, so you take that out of the equation, and he was pretty good on the road in 2021. I had this discussion with Shai Davidi yesterday. He talked about, hey, he was, he was good on the road in 2021. Yes, he was. Sub 900 OPS, but like 897. That looks a lot like the guy we've seen outside of 2021, which, again, is a good player. It's, it's not the guy that we thought we were getting, though, right? Like, this was supposed to be the best hitter in baseball. He was supposed to be going toe-to-toe with Aaron Judge and threatening 60 home runs. And just outside of that one season, we haven't seen it. He also plays great defense, but at a, at a not exactly premium defensive position and at a position where the, the bar for offense 
is very, very high. Um, and, and so far, he, he hasn't quite met that standard. Now, he's only 24 years old, right? And that, that's another pushback that I get, which is totally valid. I'm just telling you that since 2021, before 2021, Outside of the one little small sample of 2021, he hasn't been that guy. And I just, the more we get further from that, you, you do wonder whether he has that ability in him to do that again. So are we at the point where you may be reevaluating like what our expectations are for him? Or like, is it too much to say that was a blip? Like we, I use the analogy of Austin Matthews, uh, you know, scoring 40 goals and us being like, well, it's not the Austin Matthews that we expect. He had 60, um, but it's still pretty good. It's Austin Matthews getting 40 goals. But do you start to change your expectations of what Vladdy should be bringing to this team, knowing that that kind of looks like a little bit of an outlier now? I mean, I, I, I think so. I, I, you can't expect it, certainly. Like, I, I think if he puts up another season that's good, you know, it's around a 900 OPS and 30-some home runs. Again, good season, especially in the offensive environment, which hasn't changed all that much this season, despite the fact that uh, games just look more aesthetically pleasing with the, the pitch <laughs> clock. But uh, the offense is still down across baseball. But, yeah, if he puts up another season like that, I don't know how you can go into 2024 expecting this guy to, to, to be able to carry your offense for a month's time, to to threaten 50 home runs in in a season. He's just like the same the, – the seasons in which he's done exactly this, like they all look very similar – and there's just more of them than the one season with the weirdo thing that happened in the first half of it in in 2021. And what does that mean? Like, it doesn't mean like, oh, you got to trade Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because that's that's idiotic. He's still a very good player. It just means that is this a guy that you're handing a half billion dollars to in a contract extension? I'm I'm not so sure he's that guy. Like, I don't I don't know I don't know if this is the guy that you're you know your your whole future potential winning uh is centered around because you know you can't do anything else financially outside of him because you've you've just you've you've centered all your your budget around him for the next 15 years i just i from what i've seen he's he's just not that guy and again 24 i mean the rest of the season and the other thing is that the underlying numbers are different than last year right like there were there were things to point to in previous years and launch angle was the biggest one that he he hit the ball hard but it was always on the ground that's not so much the case this year but still the results have not shown themselves it is very early and he did have the the bit of an injury and there's talk that you know he was his his timing was was thrown off a little bit so he i mean he could go on this crazy run second half of the season make me look stupid which i'm (laughs) i am open to the possibility of i'm just I know what I've seen, like, and it's right there. It's on the baseball reference page that he just has – he's been that guy once, and it was in a season in which there were there were reasons for that offensive explosion. I think the front row, uh, office's role is interesting here because you're right. They haven't given him that money yet, um, and maybe they're not sure if they want to invest that half billion dollars for 10 years or whatever it's going to be. But I also think they've they might be guilty of miscasting him just a little bit. Like you mentioned Aaron Judge – They've kind of built like a lineup where they kind of need Flatty to be Aaron Judge in a way. Like they kind of need him to just carry them offensively. They need him to go into Yankee Stadium and do things like Aaron Judge did when he came into Rogers Center. Do you feel like they've miscast him a little bit or this is all still a feeling out process where they're still trying to figure out exactly who Flatty is? Well, 
I don't know if they've miscast him because this guy, I mean, who didn't think he was going to take the world by storm and be a 50 home run guy like I did? I, I guess, I guess, I guess it's more like what they did this past offseason where they, you know, they stripped it down a little bit. They took on less power for defense and fundamentals and spreading talent across. I mean, they, they sort of, not that they left Vladdy on, on an island. But they made it so that Vladdy, this is our power guy. This is our this is our best hitter. He's going to have to carry us as far as we're going to go. Well, he's, I mean, that's always going to be the case. Like he, the, the, even still, despite the fact that he doesn't lead the team in home runs, like the, he is this team's best hitter. And I would I would take a little bit of issue with talking about stripping the team. To, like go look at this lineup, and I know it's been a slow start. They are fourth in Major League Baseball in batting average. And you look at the offensive numbers across the board through, what are we, 49 games in the season. They've actually been better than they were through 49 games of the regular season a season ago. And, yeah, Dalton Varsho's off to a slow start, but guy hit 27 home runs. Like, he, yes, he was supposed to provide defense, and that was the primary uh, – focus of of his acquisition but he wasn't supposed to be an offensive zero which he hasn't been but he's been underwhelming but he was supposed to hit home runs and and you and the strength of this lineup is not supposed to be that it's top heavy it's supposed to be that there's no holes in it and i would say that you look at it right now and especially the way danny jansen seemingly turned it around uh, turn it around Whit merrifield has been an everyday player kind of asserted himself basically from the word go um there, there's not a lot of holes. Like, I thought Kevin Kiermeyer would be, you know, a guy that you'd hope to get league average offense from at the bottom of the order, and we know how well he's performed this season. This this is still on paper, right? And that's that's the key there. On paper, top to bottom, it should be a good enough offense. Is there enough homer power there? I mean, yeah, you could you could argue that there's not, but they they do have guys who have shown power in the past that have – kind of not shown it this year primarily Dalton Varsho and and Brandon Belt is heated up a little bit but I, you wonder if there's some more homer power in that bat going forward I just he's he's not supposed to be a guy that carries this offense he's not supposed to be like the island of offense and there's eight other passengers mm. on this team and I don't think they that that is ultimately the way the season is is going to go but the, the strength of this lineup is supposed to be nine above average offensive players not like four really really above average offensive players and then five below average offensive players I think the key takeaway for me in a season where there has been so much change in terms of rules and how you know the baseball season is going to go uh the importance of divisional games and I guess these are all like tightly bunched together here but like we talk about in hockey all the time the four-point game how meaningful a divisional game is or a, a, a game against someone that you're chasing in the standings it just feels like these division games are way more than they once were because they're less of them the Jays already 33 percent uh through their divisional schedule and they've had a really really dif- difficult time against ALE's competition we're not there yet, but let's, you know, four games at the Trop, it could go really poorly. The win yesterday, very, very important. But there might come a point where the divisional record is impossible to overcome because all these teams now are about to shift their focus, at least it seems, on beating up on other teams in the American League. Do you think, like, not that the next two games are the be-all, end-all, but do you think already the Jays have put themselves in the sort of hole that's going to be really, really difficult to get out of because you don't have that many games left against American League East opponents where you make up that ground in those four-point games? 
Yeah, eight and a half games back of the top of the division is is not great. Um, but it is May, and the Rays have also played like every tomato can in all of baseball. <laughs> um, so yeah, like there there's there's very few Rays or uh, Reds and like A's and Tigers games remaining for them. By which I mean none. Like they they've they've had a, a soft schedule. But you you're I mean the point is valid that these divisional games mean more than ever before because of the balanced schedule. And it also means that the idea, the possibility that this is like this inflated record that this division has will continue throughout the rest of the season because they're not just feasting on each other, right? Like they're not facing each other. So they're able to continue to to balloon these, these records against the lesser lights of the American League, which means, yeah, the possibility very much exists for, for four uh, four uh, playoff teams from within this division, although the, the West looks pretty good and the Astros are on fire right now, and it, uh, depending on whether or not you believe in the Rangers' uh, ability to, to to stay until uh, the finish line, the, there could be a wildcard team coming out of the AL West. But no, these are... The, the, what, what has happened here already in the division is impactful. Does it impact what I think the goal should be for this team, which I stated, and I think most people did at the beginning of the season, wasn't just making the playoffs, it was winning the division. Mm -hmm. I don't think it has. Like, no, that still has to be the goal, and it's still an achievable one, because, man, baseball will will make you feel stupid because of just how many games they play and how how often things can change and things that you thought were a certainty and that would, would never that would never change do change, and even in July, like we're we're not yet in June, but like the Blue Jays were three games over 500 in July last season, right? Fired their manager, and they finished with 92 wins, and you know a little better start. They could have easily won a division. And the Yankees were the best team in baseball, and couldn't possibly imagine surpassing them at the top of the division. And then they lost 11 in a row, right? And 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 you could see it. You could see the possibility down the stretch. There, there's so many things, and the the swings can be so wild throughout the course of a major league baseball season. That yeah, it, like I, I I would caution against believing that the division's already fed accompli. But it, no, you'd certainly like to be up eight and a half games, then then back eight and a half games, and last in the division. Yeah, a lot of baseball uh, to come. A lot of roller coasters, I'm sure that will ride. Uh, we're talking to Ben Ennis, host of the Fan Drive Time, which is now from three to five p.m. because of the shift with uh, Jay's Talk Plus. So make sure you're tuning in at the right time here, Ben. Um, let's shift to some hockey because we got to ask you about Kyle Dubis. Um, obviously, he spoke yesterday. Well, posted that Twitter. Uh, you know, message out to the world. Do you think he's going to roll his way to Pittsburgh? I mean, I think it's more likely than when he, on Monday he said it's either Maple Leafs <laughs> or nowhere. That we'll was when never go to I, hockey again. <laughs> yeah, I think that was. You know, that statement came when he thought he was holding all the cards, and why wouldn't he? I mean, he was told he he was given an extension at the deadline, and then once again, after his team was eliminated in the second round, of course, he thought he held all the cards. He thought it was entirely up to him, and then, you know, he had that press conference, and then on Thursday, you know, upped his his, his offer or his counteroffer mm-hmm. significantly, if, if you believe reports. Um, and now, like, is there a stick it to him? To, to Kyle Dubas, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And if it were me, I wouldn't want to sit out a year considering the the narrative surrounding me, even though I thought that was a, a, a well-worded and, and smartly played retort yesterday. And man, would I have loved him to like 
do a 60 minute style right? sit down yeah. interview with somebody and air all the dirty laundry and we had a back and forth <laughs> and it, it gave us another month of content because you know these guys were were battling uh, through through the media for you know the high ground now that that was never likely going to happen and and yeah he does i think do the correct thing in saying hey they were well within their rights to mm-hmm. to not uh bring me back next season and onward and uh onward we go um yeah if i were him i i would be taking the best job available and and i from everything i can gather despite the weirdness of the departure that hasn't impacted his standing throughout the the greater national hockey league landscape so would I like to to have a 37-year-old general manager who now has like some learning lessons under his belt and is, has been in the spotlight of the the biggest media market in hockey? Yeah, I think I think I might be interested in that. Uh, so Shanahan's going to bring someone in here, uh, and they will be the GM, and they will act as the GM, and it'll be a collaborative eff- uh, effort, uh, at least we think, based on what we've learned here in the past couple weeks. Uh, but we have we reached the point now where Shanahan can't hide in the boardroom anymore. Shanahan can't do one press conference every year because he we we knew he was involved. But now we kind of know the extent to which he's involved. And it would be like it's fair. He can do whatever he wants, I suppose. But knowing what we do, do know, which is that he's heavily involved in things. Does he have to kind of embrace being the face of the Toronto Maple Leafs now? Dude, uh, honestly, I think he should have on that Friday press conference said, and I know it's on me and I will be assuming the role of general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, how awesome would that have been? I mean, we see it all the time where general managers step behind the bench and take over for coaches. Maybe it's in an interim spot, but like, yeah, seen Lou Lamorello on, on national hockey league benches. I mean, if, I mean, the, the the crosshairs are clearly on Brendan Shanahan right now. And clearly he has some input in, uh, in personnel decisions, why not just say, I know it's on me and I'm going to support myself with people, but I've seen the way this, this, the, this roster has been managed over the last decade and I know how we can fix it. And, and I'm, I'm going to be the guy that fixes it. Uh, I think that would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. It obviously it's not going to happen. It would have happened if it was going to happen, but I, I think whoever he brings in, it won't be enough of a shield towards Brendan Shanahan. This is his decision. If if things go totally off the rails, which I don't expect them to, like I do, I, as long as you got Austin Matthews, and I think despite some of the the discourse around that, I think Austin Matthews will the, the cooler heads will prevail, and he'll be re-signed and be a Maple Leafs for the rest of his career. As long as you got Austin Matthews, you're going to be in the playoffs and you get a puncher's chance. And then, you know, surrounding him with talent, um, yeah, will be a year-to-year thing. But if this totally goes off the rails, it doesn't matter if Brad Living is the next GM you bring in. This is entirely Brendan Shanahan's making. It's 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 all on him. So I would have, I would have, man, again, I'm getting greedy because the drama's been so good and the storylines <laughs> have been so amazing. But... Yeah, if we really wanted to push it to another level, well, one, we would have had Dubas do the sit-down interview, which, bummer, he didn't get to do. But two, Brendan Shanahan would have said, you know what, 
screw everybody else. This is already on me. So you know what? I'm the next general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, I guess we should have been able to put this together a little easier, but this is kind of acting now like the Toronto Raptors with Masai and Bobby, where, yeah, yeah. someone's going to come in and they're going to be the general manager and they're going to do the bulk share of the media and the bulk share of the work behind the scenes. Um, well, maybe, I don't know if Bobby's doing that, but, you know, it's we're going to be looking to Brandon rather than the guy who comes in to replace Kyle. And, uh Hopefully that'll carry us through for as long uh, as we need it to. Uh, Ben, thank you so much for jumping on with us this morning. And, uh, yeah, we'll chat soon. See you guys. Uh, That was our Insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Well, speaking of the Toronto Raptors, Nick Nurse, Messiah Jury, and Bobby Webster, we got something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Let's talk about Nick Nurse, who is just in the finals for multiple, <laughs> multiple coaching roles. Yeah, like yeah. this guy is could be split into four. He's and, leading the lead in league in finalists <laughs> right now. He is now, as of last night, um, also one of the five finalists for the Phoenix Suns vacant head coaching position. This was announced last night uh, by Shams from The Athletic. He's been rumored to be in many, many, many decision-making uh, roles. We will see where he ends up. Um, but with this being said, we will have Michael Grange also joining us on the other side of the break to talk about where the Raptors might be going. Um, he had a great article yesterday at sportsnet.ca. Um, disclaimer, the Raptors don't appear to be in any rush to hire a new coach. So if you're hoping for something to get wrapped up soon, don't hold your breath because they have had, what, uh, five, six different people also rumored to be interested um, from people with no Coaching experience like J.J. Raddick um, to head coaches from the WNBA and uh, Becky Hammond. And they're going cross-continent, talking to people in Europe. All over. Yes, they're flying all over the world, but it doesn't seem like they're in a rush. Yeah, why not make a little trip of it? But Nick Nurse, uh, he's certainly making the rounds in terms of being uh, in the discussion for head coach role. Uh, The Milwaukee Bucks, the Phoenix Suns, and I'm missing one. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers, I believe. I mean, this this offseason is breaking perfectly for Nick Nurse mm. because we've talked about Everybody's it. Everybody's getting fired. If there's, <laughs> yeah, there's all these important openings created by the losses or unexpected losses mm-hmm. by teams that were, you know, that they had desires of going further than they did. Uh, and one of the tr- coaches who has shown you that he can take a talented roster and get a lot from it is Nick Nurse. So I don't know where he's going to end up. It seems like he's got endless options. It would be crazy now if he was, you know, the finalist in all these jobs and didn't get one of them. But I think he's set up beautifully. Like, it could have gone the other way. It could have been, yeah, we're just, you know, a lot of good teams, trust in a lot of their coaches, and no reason to move on. But it seems all these different teams reached a breaking point at the same time, which works out perfectly for Nick Nurse. And even uh, Raptors assistant coach Adrian Griffin is also being rumored to be in the finals yeah, he's for the... scrapping it out with Nurse. The Bucks job, yeah. the two of them, uh, two out of three finalists. I love that there's, like, numbers of finalists, too. You're one of five, you're one of three. Like, they announce it in like no it's an award. <laughs> it's like the heart trophy. These are our finalists. Good luck. Um, we'll break all this down with Michael Grange on the other side of the break. Um, talk about Canadian Jamal Murray's postseason as well, because we should be celebrating and highlighting that as he continues head towards uh, NBA championship. So Michael Grange on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show with Justin and Ailish. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Back 
back on the Fan Morning Show, Sports on 590. The Fan, Justin and Ailish. We teed it up before the break. Raptors coaching search continues nice and slowly, working our way towards the newest head coach for the Raptors. Uh, Michael Grange wrote a great article at sportsnet.ca warning you all to not be any rush to find the answer and that's okay because good things might take time and it's been a while since we got to talk to michael grange sports and nba columnist and insider how's it going grange it's going well Alice. oh look at you can, talk to you you're out on the roads i can tell where are you I driving am, yeah. how's the traffic uh well i'm not driving so it's oh, nice traffic is good very nice you're yeah, a 680 News uh, traffic report, Michael Grange. The roads are good. Well, if you want, uh, you want traffic reports from an undisclosed U.S. location. Oh, okay. We won't, uh, we won't ponder that much more. Okay, so we teed it up about your article, um, which you posted yesterday, um, giving it a little bit of update on the Raptors, uh, one of five NBA teams now looking for a head coach. Maybe more to come with the Boston Celtics, but they won last night, so maybe things are good there. Um, so things are taking a little while, and I know you laid it out for some reason why but uh, why should we be you know confident that this is going to go sometime soon down the road or should we be patiently waiting and what are the reasons for that yeah i don't think we're going to see a decision on that anytime within the next couple of weeks um it could even extend um a little bit beyond that and i know there's kind of a lot of this is attached to nasai jury saying it you know that when he let nick nurse go he, wanted, he expected to have someone in place before the draft, so that's June 22nd. Um, so we still really have a month. And, uh, you know, and I think when you look at that date, there's a couple of different reasons for that. One is, is they really are doing a wide-ranging search, as you can see from some of the names that have surfaced through the course of it. Um, but another angle is a couple of names that have been attached to the Raptors are currently assistant coaches with – Miami being Chris Quinn and uh, and in Denver you have David Edelman so um, you know so that could be a factor I'm not saying it is a factor but you know you look the last date of the finals is June 18th and uh, you know so that's as I said I'm not saying that that's why it's taking so long but it's an interesting little element to that but I think mostly you know, if you look at Masai Ujiri's history, even going back to Denver, so now he's had 13 years as a, you know, a decision maker in the NBA, and he's always been super patient with his coaches. He's only ever had three work for him. And so, you know, that tells me, and, you know, I can say with confidence, he would say to you, um, he wants to get it right. Mm-hmm. So he's not looking for... You know, whoever the Raptors hire is going to be something they, someone that that whole organization can envision working with for, you know, five years or longer. And so I think that's why you want to make sure, uh, you know, no stone is left unturned. And you've laid out, uh, as you mentioned, a, quite a, a lengthy list of names and a wide variety of names. Steve Nash, Becky Hammond, J.J. Redick, and then obviously internally, Eugene Griffin. Like, there is a, a vast, and there's more than that, uh, a vast range. Um, I, I think I'm quite surprised maybe by some of the names and the kind of off-the-board way that the Raptors are doing this? Is there a serious interest level in all those? Is there just um, throwing um, darts at a wall type of thing? Like, uh, some of these names seem surprising. Yeah, I think they're pretty serious. Um, 
there, you know, most of the names that have been mentioned have been interviewed, and those, you know, those take considerable resources. It's not just somebody's picking up the phone and talking for 20 minutes. It's, uh, you know, the coaches, the candidate is expected to make a pretty in-depth presentation about what they would see, what their vision is, and you know, on the Raptors side, it's not just you know Bobby Webster. It's you know there, there's be at least three or four of the executive team in on that either call or in that in person, and so you know it takes time to. So it's not something that's just done done off the cuff, um, and I think why there's a range is because this you know this is when you do when you are in a coaching search, it's an incredible opportunity, right? You can. You know, it gives you a reason to talk to people around the league, people around uh, the sport, and you can learn. Uh, you can see how really smart basketball people look at your organization, look at your talent. And um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, is every single person they interview going into it, or do they see them as, you know, this, this could be the person? I'm not sure about that, but I think they're very open-minded about who and when they do interview them and, and really are looking for an opportunity to kind of gain intelligence on their own organization. And you also, you know, you, you, down the road, it could be somebody, you know, there could be an assistant you're interviewing now. Maybe they don't have the experience or the, the, it's, it's just not right at the moment. But, you know, you could be looking for a coach in four or five years and then that, that could be that moment. So, um, but it's interesting, like, you know, Becky Hammond was a, a big name and she, I don't think she ever did, well, she never was formally interviewed. Um, you know, I don't know if, for example, Monty Williams, I don't know where that is, but there's, you know, you'd be, for good reason, there'd be interest there. You know, so those are two. And then at the other end of the extreme, you got a guy like J.J. Redick, who, from my understanding, was very impressive. You know, anyone's ever heard him as a broadcaster or as a podcaster could understand why he's clearly, you know, a super, super smart basketball mind. And so, you know, it just runs the gamut from, you know, people who have been at this job in this league for decades to people who are kind of really bright and smart and looking to kind of transfer that into coaching for the first time. Is there any reason to suggest that someone is a front runner at this point? I, I really don't think so. No. Um, there, no, I wouldn't say that there is a front runner. I really do, from what I understand, that there's still, uh, there's a couple of people yet to be interviewed who would fall in that first, you know, that initial contact category. So, and I don't think that they're, you know, I think the next step would be once you've done all of that is to kind of regather, get, you know, touch all the data points with all the people on your team. And then you'd probably come up with a short list after that. But no, I don't, I don't know of, uh, and wouldn't say with any confidence there is a front runner. Is this patience risky at all? I mean, there's a lot of really good teams that moved on from their head coaching uh, with their head coaching positions. Uh, uh, is the is the competition something to worry about, or are they just operating in their own way? And it, it really doesn't matter what other teams are doing at this point. I mean, it's a, it's a really fair point, um, and I think if they were fishing in the same water necessarily as uh, you know, when you look at the profile of the other job openings. I think the Raptors are mostly in a different space. Like clearly the the Detroit Pistons are at the start of kind of beginning, beginning to climb up from the bottom after a pretty tough rebuild. And I think, you know, from all accounts, the names associated there are young coaches. They're looking to to grow with a group over time. 
And then when you look at Sixers, Celt- no, I shouldn't say Celtics yet, uh, Sixers, Suns, and uh, the Bucks especially, you know, they're, they got to win tomorrow, right? And so there's a zero chance they're going to be looking at, in my opinion, a new name, somebody who's not uh, had a long, you know, a resume that is a little bit bulletproof. So, you know, whereas the Raptors are kind of in, somewhere in between those two pillars, and for that reason, I mean, I think they would be open to a guy who's, you know, got experience in the league and on the job. But they're definitely, definitely open to uh, somebody either new in the role or even new to coaching. I guess it doesn't hurt that a lot of these teams also seem to be interested in the former Raptors coach, Nick Nurse. Um, it seems like he's a finalist everywhere. Uh, what team do you think makes the most sense for Nick? Yeah, it's good to be Nick Nurse. It's good, really good to be Nick Nurse's agent. <laughs> the, you're, uh, the, you know, those two guys are going to get paid. Um, and really, it's it's interesting from that point of view. You know what Nick's doing is he's kind of handicapping the league at this point, right? And um, you know, because if you look at the Suns, you look at uh, the Bucks, you look at the Sixers, um, each of those off you to coach an MVP with the expectation you're going to win a title next year. And, you know, so really what you're doing is which organization is the most likely to be able to give you a little bit of runway. Um, you know, and each of them has a risk, right? With the Bucks, you, you know, people are already speculating if, you know, first of all, they got a big off, a lot of offseason questions uh, alone with their free agency situations with Middleton and Lopez and the rest. And then, but if they don't get it done this year, you know, how long is Giannis going to stick around? So you don't want to be the guy on the job when Giannis leaves. We look at the Suns and the age of Chris Paul, uh, the health of Kevin Durant, and then what is their real ability to build depth around, you know, Kevin Booker and the three of their three stars. And then you look at the Sixers and you got the James Harden situation. And, you know, that uh, there's a whole new question there about how they're going to grow a team around. Uh, Joel Embiid if he leaves. So, you know, so if I'm Nick Nurse, <laughs> I'm probably rooting really, really hard for uh, really hard for Miami and maybe the Celtics jobs come op- comes open and you, uh, that would be probably choice one because each of those other three come with a ton of pressure, a lot of opportunity, but very little certainty. Even uh, Raptors assistant coach Agent Griffin, as we mentioned, um, he's in a finalist for a couple or being rumored to be in there for a couple of roles, especially the Raptors. Does he have like a lot of leverage right now with the Raptors if he wants that opportunity? I think he's with the Bucks. Um, him and Nick Nurse are the, the finalists uh, for the Bucks, but you noted him as, as one of the top internal candidates as well for the Raptors. Is his stock uh, at all-time high? Does it give him some leverage with the Raptors if he does uh, get an opportunity to coach there too? I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, Adrian Griffin is well known for obvious reasons to Toronto and um, the possibility of him taking a job elsewhere, I don't think is the kind of thing that's going to prompt them to, to speed up their search in any way. So, you know, I I think if, if Milwaukee were to make a decision on AG, um, you know, it'd be good luck and thanks for everything. And, you know, they would continue with their search. If if it doesn't work out to be Adrian, then, you know, I think he would remain in the mix in Toronto with no guarantee that that's the direction they go. 
A lot of great stories in Canadian basketball right now, and Jamal Murray, of course, is chief among them. Uh, in the context of Canada and Canadian performances, how legendary has this run to the NBA Finals been for Jamal Murray? Well, I think it's number one. Um, you know, you know, Steve Nash had some awesome playoff runs, both with Dallas and Phoenix, but as we know, never made it to a Finals. So that's, uh, you know, so that makes it tough to beat. And then, you know, the next one probably coming to mind is Andrew Wiggins last year. And he almost got better round by round and, and was arguably the, uh, not arguably, I think he was Golden State's second best player in the in the finals last year and maybe all through the playoffs. But when you look at the responsibility that Jamal carries, um, you know, as, a, as an offense creator, a shot creator, a game finisher, I don't think that there's much um, there's much comparison. I think I think Jamal Murray is doing stuff that um, puts him on a short list for uh, expert or for elite uh, playoff performances, and by anybody, let alone a Canadian. So I think uh, you know he's he's at he's at the top, and you know um, the way. And I think for him, it's been very personal to kind of not so much shed that label, like who would want, wouldn't want to be known for what he did in the bubble, but to, to kind of remind people or show people that that wasn't a one-off situation. It was how he's capable of playing and then what he can do when he turns it up. And, you know, he certainly, uh, you know, I don't think anyone can dispute what he's done now. So we had the decision from LeBron James many moons ago. Now we have the indecision. <laughs> uh, wh- what did you make of his uh, threats, uh, sort of veiled threats, I guess, of uh, potentially retiring and moving on uh, after the sweep um, at the hands of the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what to make of that. I, I, you know, on one hand, I'm like, look, it seemed very, you know, remind me of like, you know, back in the day, it seemed like every time a heavyweight boxer would lose <laughs> or win, they would talk about retirement. And, and, you know, Muhammad Ali would retire, I don't know how many times, and the rest of them, right? Like, you're just in that state where you're spent, and uh, you just can't imagine uh, having to get to that place again, you know, with all the sacrifice required. So I'm sure that's part of it. Um, you know, and I think another fact that's a little bit interesting is, you know, with his son going to USC next year and an 82-game 82 NBA, NBA schedule is, you know, there's no escape from it. And, um you miss a lot. Like it's not like anyone with a career misses anniversaries, birthdays. Like it happens. That's part of it. But you know, like the the intensity of that NBA schedule means, you know, the one year your son might be at university, you're not going to be able to see or be part of almost any of it. And so you wonder maybe he's that's nagging or pulling at him a little bit. I'm not. So. But I would say this is LeBron. Like I was going to say, like I, I I wouldn't read too much into it, but. You know, he was given a few different opportunities. And at that point, he kind of did elaborate, and, and the Rod Carmen thing came up. And so you just wonder, is he, you know, it is, is it a bit of a power play from him and just a message to management and ownership about, you know, don't take it for granted. And, you know, if I'm going to, you know, I'm still your best player, so let's get things organized around here and, and quit thinking about the future. So, um, yeah, I wish I could give you a cleaner interpretation, but, but, uh, you know, I think 
clearly it's going to be a pretty interesting year in L.A. My only thing I'd say with a good deal of, you know, thump behind it would be he'll be playing basketball next year. Like, I mm-hmm. just can't see him retiring. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I feel like the retirement tour will at least be one season long where we get to cherish and watch LeBron do the last time of this and the last time of that. And I, yeah. I think that he did that. You make a great point. <laughs> and, yeah, there is zero chance LeBron James isn't going out with a, like, oh, yeah. like a full season of being fed. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. He's not doing the Tim Duncan. No, no. Um, last one for you here, uh, Grange, because uh, I know you got to run. Um, the other side of the conference finals, the Eastern Conference final, um, not a sweep as of last night, but the Heat have just been incredibly impressive, uh, surprising, I think, a lot um, of people throughout this run. Um, what are you most impressed about? And I guess it's also great to see Kyle Lowry being a part of this. Yeah, it is really cool to see Kyle uh, kind of return to the level that, that he's been capable of, and, and he's, he's, take, he's taken a lot of heat. So, you know, pun intended in Miami. Nice. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, I'm a professional. <laughs> and, um, you know, but a lot of, you know, last year was, I think there was, you know, I know there was some really significant personal issues going on with his life and the health of the health of, the health of his family. And, you know, this year uh, he had a knee problem. He was nursing all year. And, and so to be able to kind of play, you know, health, healthy and, kind of have his mind free a little bit and you've seen the kind of we've seen the impact he can make and he's doing it again so that's great um you know is it i would say this i mean you know it's kind of like in in hockey right like if a team's in trouble just look at their save percentage right and and similarly if a team's going great look at their save percentage Mm -hmm. And, and, and i think when you look at miami and how well they've shot the ball um in this playoff run and in this series you know, that's the one thing I kind of wonder about is if that takes a turn, and we all know it can, um, you know, is there a crack for Boston to come back here? And similarly, Boston, you know, you know, if they literally, if they kind of end up on a, on a roll shooting the ball, uh, this could turn pretty quick. But um, I think Miami's got to this point because they're really, really well coached. No secret there. And they have, as a team, a really high IQ and a, and a full commitment of of guys making plays for each other. And I think where the Celtics struggle at times is, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are just astounding players, both of them. But, you know, if they have an element on their resume that's still growing and developing, it is, you know, playmaking within context. And, 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 it, and it kind of gets a little more glaring under pressure. And we've seen it in a series of times where Jason Tatum, you know, he can look like almost literally the best player in the world. And then for two, three, four, five minutes or even two, three, four possessions in a critical game, critical moment, he looks like you or me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and I think to the extent that, you know, the Celtics can help him get over that and help Jalen Brown get over that and to the extent that, you know, Miami can continue to put those two stars in that situation. Uh, that's going to decide the series in the next uh, couple of games here. I think that zero teams have come back uh, down 3-0 in the conference finals in the NBA. I believe that that is a pretty big hole to climb out of. But the one game down, uh, anything can happen, as you say, and get on a roll. Uh, Grange, appreciate you joining us this morning. It's great to catch up. And enjoy the rest of the playoffs, and hopefully we'll chat when we get some uh, Raptors head coach news. Awesome.
All the best, guys. Take care. Have a great day. Thanks. You as well. That's Michael Green, sports and NBA columnist and insider. Very cagey about his location, too. Yeah, he didn't want to press there. Somewhere in the United somewhere States. Somewhere in the United States, driving around. Beep, beep. Um, all right. Vibes are high. The Blue Jays won 20 to 1. Uh, we're hearing some rumors of Toronto Raptors. Uh, let's continue the vibes with some Dirk Bentley giveaway. Oh, okay. Let's do it. Dirk Bentley coming to Bud's stage on June 1st as part of his Gravel and Gold tour with special guests Jordan Davis, Molly Tuttle, Golden Highway, and we're giving away tickets every day until next Tuesday while we're generous. To enter, all you have to do is tune into the Fan Morning Show and listen for our daily code word and text it in to 59590. Today's code word to kick things off is long trip alone. Text long trip alone to 59590 right now for your chance to win. If you don't win with us, be sure to secure your tickets by visiting ticketmaster.ca. Long trip alone. Three words, spaces, 59590. I am also going to Dirk's Bentley. I cannot wait. It'll be my first, I mean, first go. outdoor concert of the summer, of course, Bud Stage. That's coming quickly. It's, That's it's next, next week. week. I know. I looked We're at my calendar. Until next Tuesday. Was the is the concert? It Wednesday? is next Thursday. Next Thursday. Yes, okay. I'm excited the to go. There. It'll be a blast. I like Dirk Bentley. I like okay a little country concert out, out in the under the stars at Bud Stage. It's going to be great. So maybe we'll see you there. Long trip alone. Best of luck. We'll give away tickets until next week. Uh, Bruce Boudreau joins us on the other side of the break. The man, the myth, the legend. Uh, will chat his uh, WWE backstage moment. His viral uh, ringside cameos his raw deal and we're not talking about the canucks oh i like that that's next